What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doster and Deshaun podcast. It is Sunday night, December 27th. My name is Rob Doster. That other guy you see there, that's Deshaun Butler, a former West Virginia All-American and my lovely, lovely co-host, Deshaun. How was your Christmas? How were your holidays? Everything good? Did Santa treat you well? Santa treated me well. The kids treated me well. I want, the wife treated me well. It was a, it was a uh, great, great, great uh, holiday so far. Hopefully we can finish this holiday off with even more magic, like a, a, COVID, a COVID vaccine, <laughs> something like that, something positive. Yeah, right. So we can kind of get back to a little bit, somewhat of normalcy. Um, exactly. It, it, it was it was it was weird having Christmas um, without like a ton of family around. But I got to be honest, man. Like it was kind of nice not having to deal with anything else. Really? You know, like, why, you, like, you, no, usually no. Have a, you usually have like a big deal. Yeah, like what we'll do, like we got a big Christmas Eve thing that we do at my my uh, my in laws. Um, okay. There's normally like 25 or 30 people there, and then we got like Christmas morning. We all, we've done it since we bought our new house. We've always done it at our house, and we've mm-hmm. had my parents come by, and then my wife's parents come by, and they overlap. And my grandma lives like an hour up the road, and um, she's always down here. And then there's always uncles and aunts and family yeah, and cousins, and like it just. And then, like we got all, I'm friends with all the people in the neighborhood, so we normally see them. And instead of having to deal with all of that, you know, it was just kind of it was it was nice to be able to just have a regular old uh, family Christmas Eve. We uh, we we had like mac and cheese and hot dogs for dinner because that's what my son bought <laughs> for Christmas Eve dinner. Mac and cheese and hot dogs, and I grilled a steak, and uh, it was it was it was nice. And Christmas morning, like we were just able to kind of do it at our own pace. Start drinking champagne at like nine thirty in the morning. Yeah, I, to- no, I was going to say. I get as drunk as I want in my own house. So it was, it was, <laughs> it, it, was, was, it, was it sounds different. like an overseas Christmas because that's how I spent my last like 10 years overseas. Like it's just me, the kids, the wife. And that's it. <laughs> that's our Christmas. So I'm used right. to this year we had her. I think her mom was here, but that was it. Yeah. So yeah, we, we made the most of it. We had a blast. So I was thankful for that. Excuse me for the, uh, Spew. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got we got plenty to talk about, including um, a little bit of conversation about uh, college basketball on Christmas Day. Uh, I do want to pick your brain about that a little bit, um, but before we do, let me tell you guys about the official odds provider of the Field of Sixty Eight Media Network. That is DraftKings Sportsbook. The holiday season may be winding down, but the sports calendar is in full swing right now. From college to pro sports, there is no shortage of action. No shortage of action. That was tough to say. And there's no better place to get in on all of that action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. If you haven't tried out DraftKings Sportsbook, what are you waiting for? To celebrate this year's college football playoffs, DraftKings is giving all new users – 
the chance to bet on any semifinal team to win the championship at 100 to 1 odds. That means if you've never used DraftKings Sportsbook before, all you have to do is sign up, log in, use the promo code FIELD68, and pick one of the four semifinalists to win, bet a dollar on them, and you win $100 if that team ends up winning the college football mm-hmm. national title. And mm-hmm. while we are all excited about college football coming back and, and the playoffs coming and the NFL playoffs coming, don't forget the NBA season just kicked off. College basketball's conference play just kicked off. So head to DraftKings, uh, the DraftKings Sportsbook app now to get all of the daily odds boost. It's safe, it's secure, it's reliable, and they make it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code FIELD68. That's FIELD68 when you sign up to get 100-to-1 odds on any semifinal team to win it all. That's code FIELD68 for new players to get a shot at $100 on any semifinal team this week. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, Deshaun. Um, there was basketball on Christmas Day. Uh, and we have at least at least a couple things that I want to talk about there, specifically Iowa and Fran McCaffrey. But where do you stand on this idea that uh, college basketball amateur athletes are playing on a holiday like Christmas. Um, I, I I personally don't have that much of an issue with it, um, considering that we also play on holidays like Thanksgiving and, and uh, Easter, depending on when Easter actually is in the first weekend of April. But uh, it seemed like it was the thing for a little bit. Where, where, do, where do you stand on this? I mean, it's not – I will say it's not every team. I don't really have a big issue with it. Um, I know some of the players probably don't either, this is, especially if they do find time to – the issue I have with it is that they don't – the teams don't find time to let those players get a break to see their family. If they're crowding these schedules to the point where these guys can't even see their family and all of a sudden they got to play on Christmas, that sucks. Or if you're fine, like you're setting up the schedule where these guys don't have certain days off so that they can like see their family either before or even after Thanksgiving – and they're going to play in Thanksgiving and go in these tournaments in Florida or wherever they're going to go. Like, that's where I have my problem. Other than that, like, to play on these holidays, are, that's an awesome thing to have, like, to be a part of. I mean, you you watch these professionals do it, and that's something you want to emulate and idolize, you idolize to do as well. So to be one of the big games or one of the only games that's on television on Christmas Day, that's awesome to be a part of as long as these guys get some time with their family. Yeah, you know, in in – this year where we have uh, – there's, there's so much of an issue with actually going home and seeing people. Um, yeah. I think it makes sense to if the kids are going to be on campus, you might as well play. Uh, but in yeah. the grander scheme of things, um, I do think – you know, Christmas has kind of been taken over by the NBA, right? Like one of the things that you look forward to uh, on Christmas is like Christmas morning, you open up all the presents and then starting at noon all the way until like 1 o'clock in the morning, you got NBA games on the entire – day like it's a basketball holiday it's one of the things that you associate with it and all of these guys that are playing in college right now have like kind of developed that same thing you know like they're first and foremost they're probably like nba fans if you're playing college basketball i'm assuming you're at least yeah. a fan of like somebody in the nba or a player or something right and so to be able to have the opportunity to say like look not only are we playing college basketball but just like the guys that are playing in the nba like we're playing on christmas day too like that's Exactly. That's pretty 
that's pretty cool for a lot of them. And the other thing is like, there's probably at least a couple Jewish people on the team that, that, that like we don't care about, like <laughs> if they got to play on Hanukkah or like, that's not even the day that matters for them. So it's, it's, you know, I don't have a massive issue with it, especially um, this year um, in a normal season. Like maybe if you're able to fly the families in and get them yeah. on campus so they can be able to have their own kind of celebration. Or if you give the, the kids like a different day or a different couple days to be able to get home and see everyone and like celebrate their Christmas, even if you're doing it four days early, like, what? I don't, I don't, I don't have a major Something. issue Something. with it. And I, and I think it's actually a pretty cool experience for a lot of those, those kids to be able to say like, Hey, yeah, we play on Christmas day too. Yeah. What, what, I mean, besides the NBA and like you're one of these games that's on television. And people get to watch, and if they're big college basketball fans, that's an amazing honor. That's great. So that's why I, I don't think I have a problem with the whole aspect of the game being played on Christmas, as long as these guys get a chance to like also enjoy the holidays as well, in in, in a sense with their family, so yeah, or friends or whatever the case may be. So yeah, so we had some interesting games on 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 Christmas today. It was a lot of Big Ten action. Uh, we will touch on Wisconsin and, and Michigan State. Yeah. Um, a, a little bit later, but the first thing that I want to talk about was Fran McCaffrey. Um, and we're also going to get into this a little bit with coach Cal and, and, uh, Kentucky and, and some of the coaching decisions that they made. But, uh, before like we kind of get into all of that, I do want to just kind of set like a basis for, for this conversation and kind of like something that we could build it around. So I wanted to ask you, you're a guy, you played high school, you played AAU, you played college, you played professionally, you played in the NBA, you played overseas. You basically played every level of basketball that's possible. Like, I don't know, are you playing in like a men's league now or something? Like, have you done that yet? That might Not be yet, only- but, I'm, but that's next. That is that's next. Do time, do time, do time. All right, so so tell me just kind of like to you, like what, what defines a good basketball coach and what kind of qualities are you looking for in a good college basketball coach? Because I have there, – there are three to me, that three things that make a good college basketball coach. I mean, I can't really pit like put one thing on a, a really good basketball college or I mean, a really basketball a good basketball coach. Excuse me, uh, English is a little off today, but um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, yeah. But um, if I had to say a couple of things, I mean, obviously X's and O's are very important, and as far as making adjustments, now you can have all the best players in the world, but if a team can like stop what you're doing to be able to make an adjustment is very, very important offensively and defensively. I I had a coach that couldn't do that when I was overseas at one point and we would just keep doing the same thing. And these coaches that we would play against would just make small adjustments and change the way the screen is supposed to be. And our coach wouldn't change the thing and we just get punished. So then that put that in my head as, all right, cool. Well, I already, I already knew this, but making adjustments at high level basketball is is basically the majority of the game. Like you can have, Mm -hmm. everybody has plays. They all run the same stuff, if, if anything. They steal players from each other. They take and borrow this and do this and do that. But the adjustments are what win basketball games a uh, uh, majority of the time. Knowing time and place in a basketball game is very important. Like when to do certain things and when not to. Like you can't it's, – it's, it's important to know when to take advantage of mismatches as opposed to just running a set constantly, constantly to the point where the, you don't you don't even – your players and the team don't have a rhythm. Like now you're just giving the ball to one person the entire time and now the rest of your guys can't even – they don't have a feel for the game. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing when to sub, when not to, knowing when to call timeouts, when not to. That's very important. Those are things I had to learn over time. And then a great motivator. I mean, somebody that can get the players – 
regardless of what level it is, like you just mentioned all these levels all the way up to pro to can, can motivate the players to go out there and play the game to the best of their abilities, as well as having players that are, you know, self-motivated, but that the coach has to be able to motivate these guys. Like we bring up coach Huggins, you know, people always question his X nose and so on and so like the things that he can and can't do. But the last thing you can question is how he motivates the players and how he creates this will to win in the, the, his players. They can be the, like, they could be guys that are the most talented. They can be guys that were looked completely weak and soft the year before. And then he turns these guys into something completely different and makes them a little bit more confident in themselves, which I've seen in person. So you know, the, I feel like these are important things a coach should be able to do, be able to motivate the players, make adjustments, uh, and obviously uh, just uh, <laughs> know, like, know when to make the right calls in a time, a certain time in a certain place. Yeah, so I think that's definitely like a, a very important aspect of it, and it's one of my three, is like being able to change what you do. So for me, the, the three things are the first one is – especially at the college level, it's, it's roster, like building a roster, right? Are you able to identify talent? Are you able to recruit the talent that you identify? Are you able to find kids that kind of fit your culture and your program? Um, can you build something that's balanced where you have seniors and freshmen and everything in between? Can you build something where you have enough guards, enough wings, and enough centers where you can have depth, you can give versatile lineups, you can play different ways, you can match up to different things, right? Are you able to find the right kind of players. And once they get there, develop them and make them better. Like building everything that goes into building a roster is something that's very important to do. The other part of it to me is preparing to play with that team, not just for a game for the entire season. And yeah. And and like finding a way to make those pieces work. Like the the best example that I can give of this is is just like Scott drew went from being a guy that ran that like hybrid one, one, three, two, three zone to last year, becoming a top five team because they became like the best defensive team in the country, switching everything, playing man, forcing no middle, like all of that, like a, a very unique style of defense that that he played. And then this year they're kind of doing that same thing, but since they're smaller, they're going to a lot more four out. They're doing a lot more three point shooting. They're playing faster, playing with a lot more ball screens. And they've now become like one of the best offensive teams in the country. And right there with Gonzaga is one of the best teams in the country. So can you, get your team ready to play games, not just like over the course of the whole season and like specifically preparing for each matchup. Does that make sense? And then the the third part of it to me is, is everything you just mentioned when it comes to, um, you know, motivating in-game adjustments, understanding time to score. um, And it's mostly just being able to put your players into situations where you make the optimal decisions to allow them to have success, right? Put your players in places where they can succeed and do it in a way that is like mathematically optimal, that is uh, optimal based off of the matchups, that is optimal based off of the talent that you have in your roster. Like it's, it's, that's the third part of it. So the reason I bring this all up is because the way that Friday's game ended between Iowa and Minnesota, some of the decisions that Fran McCaffrey made just, just, just drove me crazy. Right. And so I'll just kind of walk everybody through it. Basically, what happened was Iowa was down by 11 in the first half, came all the way back. They took a seven point lead with 44 seconds left. Uh, They blew that lead. Uh, Part of it had to do with a couple of missed free throws by Joe Toussaint with 10 seconds left when they were up three. Part of it had to do with Marcus Carr hitting great shots. Um, And part of it had to do with two very specific things that happened. One, 
was Joe Toussaint went under a ball screen with under 10 seconds left, 10 seconds against, left yeah. against Marcus Carr to allow him to get a look at a three, a guy that has been just absolutely lights out. Again, we'll talk about that in a little bit. And then the other part of it was with five that, that Marcus Carr hit that three to tie the game. And the other part of it was Jordan Bohannon getting the ball to go 94 feet one-on-one with 5.7 seconds left. When Jordan Bohannon, as we talked about, last week is just a shell of, of what he used to be because of the injury. Like that you could just tell the injuries have taken their toll um, on Jordan. He's not the same player that he was before. So those two decisions drove me crazy. Then in overtime, there were two wide open threes that were created because of defensive mistakes again, but Fran kept playing like this stupid two, three zone. That is just horrible. That kept allowing Brandon Johnson to get wide open looks from three. He hit four of them in overtime. Marcus Carr hit another one in overtime, and Minnesota ended up winning that game. So the thing that I wanted to – the reason I wanted to bring this up and the reason I had to get on this rant and kind of get on my soapbox a little bit is because uh, I tweeted something about this, and I had, like, Iowa fans and people just in my mentions arguing about, like, whether or not Fran McCaffrey is a good coach, whether or not he's a bad coach, whether or not he should be fired. So the point that I wanted to make is this. When it comes to the first two things that I mentioned – building a roster and preparing a team for a season. Like there is nothing that you can say against Fran McCaffrey, more or less. He has taken a team. They have one top 100 player on the roster. That is not one of Fran McCaffrey's sons. That's Joe Wieskamp. Luca Garza was like a, the, the like 120 or something like that in his class. Everyone else was like in the 200s or 300s. And yeah. McCaffrey has found these dudes and turn them into one of like the 10 best teams in the country, a team that can get to a final four, a team that can compete for a big 10 regular season title. Like it takes a lot of ability as a coach to be able to identify those players, get them to play together, develop them and put them onto a team that can do the things that they do offensively. Right. And again, yes. like finding a way to build around one of an elite low post score with a whole bunch of shooters, like what they do offensively is elite. It's great. It's awesome. Like you cannot yes. knock them for that. Now, Yes. The decision with Jordan Bohannon, like that's a bad decision. And I think that like that, that was a coach grasping onto this idea that you have a fifth year senior that would make the right decision when he can't physically get to the spot that he needs to be able to make that decision. Right. So I kind of understand that to a point, but again, it's wrong. Now, the biggest thing for me is, is one France inability to get away from that two, three zone in time, the one that kept allowing wide, wide open threes in overtime. And two, the fact that there were the defensive mistakes that were made were ones that should not be made, right? Like you should know as a sophomore in college, as a point guard in that situation that you can never go under that ball screen against Marcus Carr, not in that spot. I don't care what happens. You cannot go under a ball screen and allow him to get a step in three off the dribble. For a guy that is that good and that much of a rhythm. And the other part of it. Go ahead. No, I'm holding that there for you. Go ahead. Oh, because I'm going to bring that back up. And and the other part of it is the first two open threes that Brandon Johnson got in overtime were because of defensive mistakes that CJ Frederick made in, in a ball screen. Like one time, instead of switching the way that he was supposed to switch, he went to go guard the roll man for some reason, which absolutely made no sense, but left Brandon Johnson wide open at the top of the key. And the other one was, who shot uh, the lights out? Shut the lights out. Hey, <laughs> who shot lucky, the lights out? Shout out lucky, to him. He shot, uh, he shot the hell out of the ball. Like a young Rob Dawson in his prime. Um, 
Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and and the other one was just like a miscue. He stayed. Uh, he was at the top of a um, a two three zone, and they set yeah. a screen, and two guys went with the ball handler. When one of the they, there's got to be a communication that someone has to go back to the screener. And to me, and this is the biggest criticism that I think you can have about Fran is that a team that is that good with veterans, CJ Frederick is a redshirt sophomore, Joe Tucson is a sophomore, Connor McCaffrey was involved in all those actions. He's a senior. With a team that is that old, you should not be having these mistakes, not if you are going to win a title. So the the, the failure to make those minor adjustments and the fact that we are still having these kind of like, I don't want to say maybe sophomore is too strong, but like mistakes that should not be happening for elite defense, like elite teams cannot make those mistakes defensively, not in that spot. Those are the two major, major issues that I have. So to sum it all up, like, Fran McCaffrey, what he's done building that Iowa program and putting them in a place where the expectation is they should not be losing road games at seven and one teams with all American point guards. Like Minnesota's really good. They're going to be in the top 25 this week. Iowa's gotten to a place where the expectation is they cannot lose those games. And that is all credit to Fran McCaffrey. And you can also say that the reason why they are a good team right now and not a winning team, that's two very different things. Teams that are really good and teams that win games. And the reason why they are the former and not necessarily the latter in in as many situations as you want them to be is because of a lack of preparation and those mistakes defensively. So um, I wanted to get all that out. Fran McCaffrey is a very good coach. There are things that happen in games and decisions that he makes that just drive me crazy. That are why he is a very good coach and not like a a guy that's been to a final four or won a national title or something like that. Okay. Stepping off of my soapbox, turning the floor back over to you. Um, at first I was waiting to hear you. Uh, I thought you were going to jump on the bat, the bandwagon of fouling. You, you wanted him to foul. I was uh watching the game and I, I hate the debate of, oh, should you foul? Should you play defense? I thought it was funny because I was like, they don't play defense very well, so I thought they would foul. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was like, I thought they were going to foul. They would have shot two free. They would have, they would have shot two free throws. They got Luca Garza in there. They got, they could have just sent the entire team in there to go crash if they wanted to miss and got the rebound. They shoot great free throws, rebound, get fouled, make some free throws. That's what I thought was going to happen. Then I then I made an excuse. I was like, all right, maybe they didn't have any timeouts. Rewind. They had a timeout. Um, so maybe I was I was hoping that maybe Fran would have fouled. Now, to those points you brought up. Fran's been like coaching for like ever. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm sure when they went into their scouting report and they talked about who to and who not to go under on and who, who can shoot and who can't shoot, that is explained. So I kind of feel like he got the – he's going to get the a lot of the blows because he's the coach and they lost and he lost the game he shouldn't have lost. But – those that mistakes two sons, like he has yes. to hold that, like yes. he fully has to hold. That. I can't even let Fran hold that because if you expect a point guard to a sophomore point guard to to know these things, I mean he should know them. Like it, it's no one else's thought process to know not to go under on a shooter. It's the it was the easier route. He took the easier route and then he got burned for it. So I can't place that on Fran. What I can place on Fran is the preparation in not just this game, but all games defensively. I mean, they're a great offensive team. They can do a lot. I feel like this this year, Luca Garza is the, you know, the top dog. 
but I feel like this year and any years, it reminds me of like uh, John Belanger when they beat Chris Paul. Like it was like a showcase so you can attract more people to an area. So like this is like, and they, they haven't, I was, hasn't been in the tournament yet, but the whole point is this is a showcase so everybody can see his system, see it works if you get the right pieces in there. And I mean, if anything, Fran has done a great job, like you said, building this program up, nurturing the program, it, it's in showcasing it and letting people know like, all right, I can get the perfect, if I get the perfect big in this situation and good shooters around the country this could be you he's doing that right now by showcasing his team so that point that point of coaching is being taken care of almost like in a sense his recruiting is being taken care of by showcasing his talent that he has there the defensive matchups like I told you I I wasn't too happy with them like the entire season so far like they just don't really guard that would be the only thing I would knock him for because everything else has been in my eyes, I feel like he's done everything pretty well. These mistakes are player mistakes because I'm sure when you look through the first half, like these guys are going over screens chasing car. It wasn't like they were all told to go under car. So watching the game, watching ball screens get set, seeing them go over, seeing ball screens get set in the man-to-man zone, and seeing them go over, and then seeing that situation and seeing him go under, either he's tired or just a mental lapse, that's not – I can't I can't blame Fran for that one. But yeah, and I can't also, hold him I can't hold him accountable for everything that's happened defensively this year and yeah. what will happen in the future. Like unless they pick it up. Then the Bohannon, like I feel like at that point, you you see things happen on the basketball court and the coaches can't get like this, but you see things happen on the basketball court as players, and some things can deflate you a little bit. Them seeing that shot go in. Now it's time for them to go and hoist up and heave a damn shot. Like it, and you put the ball in the hands of somebody, you can't put it in Lucas' hands. You like, you like Wise Camp and you like his, he likes his son, obviously, but he can't put the ball in their hands to make a play. So it's like you put the ball in the hands of a playmaker, regardless if your playmaker's on, regardless of if your playmaker's like having the best game or not. It's somebody he trusts. And at the end of the day, like, you go off of the trust factor. You think about the game. They were man-to-man. They started – they were stinking it up. You go into zone because he didn't trust what they were doing man-to-man. They're stinking it up to the point where he's like, all right, listen, I got to trust him. He trusts him, but he stayed in his zone too long. And it didn't help them out. So by the time he trusted him, it was a little too late. He trusted the, He trusted Bohannon to figure it out. I mean, he's their playmaker besides Toussaint off the dribble and as far as like making a play in general. So you got one or two, you pick your poison, but I still can't, they put themselves in a terrible, a terrible position, position, excuse me. And I mean, it showed leading into overtime and it was nothing they could do about it by then. It was, it was a done deal. Like they showed their hand mm-hmm. and they got punished. <laughs> Minnesota punished them. Yeah, I, just to – I wanted to circle back to one thing um, about going under the screen. Like, I also want to make sure we give credit to Marcus Carr and to Minnesota there. Yeah, yeah, like, definitely. The, the, the play that they drew up was um, – it's it was tough to guard. Like, what they had Marcus Carr do was he was on the right side of the floor. He came off a yeah. ball screen going left and then turned around and they rescreened him. And he went yeah. right back and he had to go over the ball screen. again. like, that ain't easy to guard. Like, I don't care who you are. So – 
Um, you got to give credit credit to Richard Pertino for drawing up a nice little action there, and you got to give credit for, to Marcus Carr for being able to uh, force Tucson into that screen twice and then make the shot when he had it. Make the shot um, exactly. So my my big thing though is like, and you got to give Brandon Johnson credit for hitting those shots in overtime, right? Like Marcus Carr hit like another the the step back that he hit to step cut the lead to, to four. That, that, tough. That's a leap. That was tough. That was a leap. <laughs> yeah, that was that was tough. So he got back. Got, he got away. So. You got to get him. Got to give him credit for that. But the, the, the I just want to. The reason I've, I've said the word suboptimal and optimal when I was talking about this is because, at the end of like I, I know the saying is a make or miss league, right? But the, at the end of the day, like players sometimes make shots and they sometimes miss shots. And if you're going to live and die with players mm-hmm. sometimes making shots and sometimes missing shots, like that's kind. It's always going to be a little bit of a roll of the dice, right? But my take yeah. is that you got with that guys, team. Yes, you got to. But you got to put your guys in the best situation where they have the best chance to either force a miss or get a, a look where they can make a shot. And um, mm-hmm. for me, they did. Uh, Fran did not put his team in the best situation to force misses, especially in overtime. Like uh, I can argue I, with you on that. The, the, the shot that Marcus Carr hit, like, okay, like Toussaint could have done better. I wouldn't say he did a terrible job. He could have done better. Job, but yeah, he could have done better. Um, and then, But in overtime, like, it was just defensive mistakes. And and I guess my big thing is like when you constantly see these defensive miscues, eventually at some point you kind of have to say like, why is that still happening? And that, I guess that's my, my biggest thing with it all. But again, like credit to Marcus Carr, credit to Minnesota. Like that was a, a hell of a comeback that they made at the end of the game. And um, Oh, the one last point I wanted to make. So with Jordan Bohannon. Yeah. The, just the one piece of context I want to put into this is that in the previous, like there were ni- in the previous twelve seconds of that game, this is what Joe Tassant did. He fouled a driver with nineteen seconds left in a game when they were up by five. Yes. At the other end of the floor, he missed two free throws. Free throws, yeah. And then back at the other end of the floor, he didn't go over a screen and allowed a guy to hit a three to tie the game. So not just a guy, no. <laughs> yeah, their, their guy. The guy is so, averaging twenty four point six a game. Like, so if guy. you want to tell me that Fred got to the point where he was like, "All right, you know what? Fuck this kid. I'm not dealing with this." Like Jordan, you go get in there. Like I can't trust that dude anymore. If you want to tell me that, like, okay, I can understand it. I, I still think that it's it's he can't say that though. Be wrong, play, <laughs> quote unquote. But like, I I, I okay, I, that makes a little bit more sense to me. But it does not answer the problems that I have with Iowa's defense, which is a different conversation. Anyway, so this leads us into the conversation about John Calipari and what happened at the end of the Kentucky Louisville game, because I've seen a lot of criticism for Cal for this. And I, I think I'm going to come to his defense in this spot. So real quick, it was, it was three plays that happened. One of them, 47 seconds left uh, game is tied. Perfect two for one situation. Kentucky does not go two for one. They run some false, false dribble weave action. Uh, they don't start their set until about 33 seconds left. 33 seconds. Was, yeah. They run a ball screen with Devin Askew and Isaiah Jackson where, like, Askew comes off and he's supposed to find – like, they run a clear out on one side and get Isaiah Jackson running off of a, a back screen. And I'm mm. pretty sure the play was designed to be a lob to Jackson over the top for an alley-oop and a dunk. And yeah. I, it was there, but um, Louisville did a good enough job hard hedging that Askew couldn't make that pass. The second option is they swing it back to BJ Boston. He's got an isolation at the top of the key. He can't go anywhere. They give it back to Askew, and he settles for like a, a, a 19-footer off the dribble that obviously was like nowhere near going in. Um, the next play. Lisa the foul, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Lisa the foul. You next possession. Foul, yeah. 
foul in a tie game. Next possession in the tie game, there's I think it was 21 seconds left, and the play that they run is Olivier Saar throw uh, um, dribbling into a dribble handoff on an open like it's basically an open side open side ball screen, but instead of a ball yeah. screen, it's a dribble handoff for Davion Mintz, who's like your fourth best playmaker off the dribble. Yeah, spot up shooter, and the the play that they get is him coming off and and finding Olivier Saar, uh, like just kind of popping into a fifteen footer from the baseline, a shot that like Same rattles spot. in, almost goes in, doesn't quite go in, and comes out. Oh. And then um, at the end of the game, like they actually got they decided to give the ball to Lance Ware seventy feet from the basket and let him like kind of run a fast break. Yeah, Camden, by the way, there you go. Um, so he comes out <laughs> and he found. Uh, he found BJ Boston, who got like a wide open look at a twenty four footer, which is about the best best shot that you could get in that situation. So, like, I don't have a huge problem with that one. But the other two, uh, I saw a lot of criticism for. But I'm going to let you have the floor on this one first before I kind of uh, take up for Cal in this spot. Two for one, it is what it is. They should have went for the two for one. Um, they didn't. That's done. I'll hold that one against Cal. Everything else. Um, ask you had the ball, hand it off to uh, Sar. Sar went from that handoff to a, a handoff ball screen to the guy that's the, lead, the leading scorer of the game. If watching that game, if the big that's guarding Sar doesn't stay with Mintz, Mintz has either a wide open jump shot because this man is trailing, like trailing mm-hmm. him going above the screen. He's a, he either has a wide open jump shot or a one dribble pull up or a good can go to the basket, do whatever he has space. But the big stayed and it almost like they doubled. So he had to pass the ball to a wide-open Olivier Saar, who, all right, I'm all, how can I put this? This is why I'm going to rock with Cal in this scenario, and I I love what he said after the game. Like, I, I enjoyed his uh, his uh, press conference after the game. Granted, they lost the game, and I know he was ticked off, but Saar hasn't scored a field goal in, like, two games. So it's easy for everybody that's watching the game to just jump on Cal's ass about that, him having the ball at the end of the game to shoot the game-winning shot. But if I take a look, and I'm a coach, if I'm a coach at a a certain point in time, and I have a team full of freshmen who have went at one point in time during the season showed me that they are that freshman. They've shown their inconsistencies. They showed their maturity or immaturity. And – I'm not upset with Sar getting that shot and shooting that shot. Like I'll live with the guy that's seen more college basketball than the rest of those guys in their team shooting that shot. And I'll stand by that regardless if he missed it, he missed it or made it. Cause if you made it, like you said, in the Notre Dame game, if you made it, we'd be talking about Kentucky fought through and blah, blah, blah. Like Kentucky had a ton of chances to win this game. There were, Louisville turned the ball over three times, did he not? Or two times in a row mm-hmm. on the baseline once, uh, they were out of bounds plays, I think. They, they had their foot out of bounds like two times in a row or something like that. Like they had numerous opportunities to to win the game. They didn't. And I can't jump on Cal's back because of this loss. Maybe the two for one, I get it. Like you need you need every opportunity to win, especially down the cl- uh, down that stretch in this game against a rival. But the way the game ended, I couldn't jump on Cal's back. And it actually it actually came to the leadership that we spoke about last show, how he went and defended the guys. Cause they're in a scenario now where it's just like, they're, they're in the trenches together. Like who's in, who's in the foxhole with you? 
like now if they're one in like seven, one in eight, whatever the case may be, like everybody's like on their on their backs right now. Like, yeah, you suck. You need to do this. You need to do that. You should fire him. You should do this. You should do that. Everybody's on his back, on the team's back, talking about the players. The best thing they can do right now is see the leadership, look up and see him coming to the players like aides almost like via, you know, interviews and things like that. And not just like burying the guys and, you know, doing stuff that he was doing prior. I feel like this will kind of help them for in the future of like when they get more into more SEC play and stuff like that, that kind of talk. Like I feel, I feel like he showed a, a little bit better leadership than you would say like what a week before. Yeah. Yeah, no, he did. Um, so my thing with it, like with the, with the two for one, I understand why Cal didn't do it because I think to be able to operate that correctly, one, you got to have a point guard that you trust to be able to go get a good shot. Yes. Thank you. Moment. Yeah. And he does, he does not have a point guard that he trusts to be able to go get a, a, a good quick shot in that moment. Um, and two, like, that's the kind of thing where you like for people that have never played in a, in a, in a basketball program, in a basketball team, like basically what happens is like for the most of practice, like you're, you're doing shell drill type shit and, and then you're uh, preparing for your next team's games and you're doing like five on oh running your offense to make sure everybody gets it. And then you're doing like half court stuff where you're running these sets to kind of get these different um, get, get these different ask, uh, actions or uh, install a different counter, all these like just random stuff where you're just trying to figure out exactly how you run, want to run stuff and improve your execution. But what happens normally like the last 15, 20, 30 minutes of every practice for every team, on the planet earth is you do special situation stuff right it's like okay we're down by four with 17 seconds left we're going to have our first team right here Uh, our second team is going to play against them and they're going to try to come back and win and we're going to work on what you have to do to be able to make that happen or you do things like where it's we have 47 seconds on the clock we're in a tie game we're on the road how do we make sure that we get two shots and two possessions they only get one now for cal because he has a completely new team where there is no holdover factor. They have to start everything from scratch, everything that they install, every defense, every offense, every call, everything that they do is starting from scratch. Whose fault is that? No, no, it is. <laughs> I, I, That's I what I say. Like, this is a, this is a recurring thing. Cause we get the freshmen to come in on the dream of NBA quickly. And then you get them in and then you get them out and then you get them in and you get them out. So like, I, I don't know. Like, who's fault? No, I, I, I agree with you. But the difference is that this year, when you don't have the offseason to kind of get ready and you don't have the chance to be able to allow them to bond and do team bonding stuff and be able to learn each other and, and play and pick up, like, it's a very different year this year where he has to do all of that stuff once practice starts and he has to use practice time to be able to do the things that you normally would be able to do because like guys aren't even allowed to hang out. Like they're not even allowed to have team dinners where they sit next to each other. So there's a lot like you don't know each other as well. So you have to use some of that practice time to be able to do it. So I understand why maybe they're not getting the kind of reps in special, special situations. So like the two for one, um, I don't know if Cal is like analytically, savvy enough to be able to understand that's something that he has to do, which we can get into. But I don't think in that specific situation, it's necessarily the wrong decision for him to make. Now for the jumper, the, the jumper that Sar got, like, think about it like this, man, Terrence Clark is injured. He's not, he, he, like, I think he played 16 minutes in that game. He's got a sprained ankle. Maybe. He was not himself. VJ yeah. Boston has not looked right for a month. Devin Askew, like he, he just fucked up a pick and roll. I mean, he couldn't get the ball to Isaiah Jackson. The like, play before. 
Yeah. <laughs> and so what do you do? Like, I understand Davian Mintz is not necessarily the guy you want coming off of that ball screen, but who else are you giving a ball to? In that exactly. And they ended up getting a shot. Like, I know all of like the, the stat people are going to be like, yeah, 15 footers, mid-range jumpers. That's not necessarily what you want, blah, 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 blah. Well, I'll tell you Shut what, up. that is over. The, <laughs> that's over the course of a game of a season of a career. Like that's how you, in the long term, you're right. In the short term, in one specific possession, like that might be the best shot that you can get. Right. That's why, like I've always said, um, you can't just eliminate the mid range because there are times where on a specific possession, that is the best shot you can get. Now over the long term, you don't want to have to rely on making exactly range jumpers to, to win games oh, like over the course of 40 minutes. But in one specific possession, if you have Isaiah Saar, uh, I'm sorry, Olivier Saar, stepping into like a wide, well, he wasn't wide open, but stepping into an open 15-footer, a shot that he can make, like there yeah. are much, much worse shots that you can get in that spot. And I, like, I, have, no problem, I have no problem with him, with him taking that shot. And, and given everything else is going on, like that's far from the biggest issue. Now, my yes, thing with Cal, thank you. <laughs> my thing with Cal, and where, where I think he deserves the most criticism as a coach, is his utter refusal to add shooters to a roster, and and the fact that he like one like his playbook is the most one of the most basic playbooks in college basketball. Like they run yes. the same like five or six plays over and over again. They just find the one that works and just keep going to it and just stop. They never stop. You know when they had like Jamal Murray, like they just ran him off of those baseline screens nonstop. And for the like the entire SEC season, he was averaging like 20-something a game because he Cal found something that works, and he just kept hammering away at it until someone could stop it, and no one could. Problem is this year, like, one, none of that stuff is going to work. They don't have those guys. And two, when you have a team that's kind of built around um, overall, just in general when it comes to, to Kentucky, when you have a team that's built around big guys, but you don't have that Carl Towns or that Anthony Davis, like it really, it kind of hampers you when you don't have the shooting or the spacing. So um, I just, at some point, like the place that I would criticize criticize Cal is his inability to adapt to what modern basketball is and has become over the course of the last four or five, six years or whatever it is. That's a lot of coaches too. So yeah. Yeah. So join the the less big dog. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, also I, would, like, I wouldn't even argue with you on that one. That's that's spot on almost. And when you look at some of the shooters that have come out of the state of Kentucky, whether it is Justin Powell at Auburn, whether it mm-hmm. is Adam Kunkel at Xavier, whether it is CJ Frederick at Iowa, whether it is Dante Allen, the kid that they got on their bench that averaged 43 a game when he was a senior in high school. You know, at some point you kind of got to say like, okay, maybe we need to add some of these role players that can just make shots. Cause sometimes having guys that can just make shots is really valuable on a basketball. Exactly. Because you know, um, you, garner some respect there. I mean, yeah. I feel bad for them right now. They're getting they're getting a head kicked in. Yeah, and <laughs> so I I think we mostly kind of summed up what we need to sum up. But like this idea, I've seen some people in Kentucky circles floating that Coach Cal needs to be fired. Um, That's dumb. And I just I could not possibly or more vehemently disagree with that. I think it is a horrible take to have, and I think it's really really short-sighted in terms of what is just the the weirdest year that any single person alive right now has ever experienced um so i i think that's 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 very dumb to think that way um but if you're going to get rid of him it is because his inability to adapt has kind of limited what their uh 
what their ceiling can be overall. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. They, they, people in Kentucky might want to like just get their mouths closed and not wish that it happened. I mean, I don't, I don't know who they would get, but the thing about Cal, Cal has a system in a sense that works when he has the right players. And I've seen him with the right players more than I haven't seen him with the right players. So <laughs> that would be a bad, uh, a bad loss for Kentucky, especially since they've been doing so well in the past, like what? Decade. Since he got there. Since, <laughs> since he, he got, got there. It, yeah. I'd be, it'd be a, that'd be a pretty big mistake so quickly to make that, that decision so quickly or to wish it or put it out in the air, period. Because I remember those times where they didn't have them and they had Gillespie for a little bit. They weren't too happy. Oh, I was, no, around, I was no, in college when that, <laughs> like, I was I was in college around that time. They they were uh, they weren't too happy around those times. So when they oh. got Calipari, they they cheered and they were grateful. So don't forget those times. Oh, Billy Clyde, <laughs> he is uh, he is different. All right, so let's talk a little bit about again. This is the Monday Overreactions podcast, so we probably should have some actual overreactions instead of just hashtag talk ball. Um, first and foremost, we can, we can roll through these fairly quickly because like we've, we're already yeah. like 40 minutes into this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> we've been long. Um, I, my take, I've seen people saying that Gonzaga it's right now it's Gonzaga versus the field. And I think that is way, way too strong for this moment in time, considering that all we've seen Baylor do is beat the brakes off of people. So my, yeah. I guess my overreaction is like, don't call it. Gonzaga versus the field, unless you're going to say Gonzaga and Baylor versus the field. I could, I could agree with that. I'm once again, though, we haven't gotten into the, the, the depths of the conference play yet either. Like Mm -hmm. because these guys haven't had any exhibition games and all these things to lead into their season. These first, I would say these first five games could be their, their, you know, exhibition games. And because of that teams are going to look, some teams that we thought were great aren't going to look great. Some teams we didn't think much of are going to be good teams and they're going to build. I would like to see what everybody looks like at the end of their conference play going into their conference tournaments. Like I would love to see those teams. I can't just say Gonzaga versus the field. I can't even see Gonzaga and Baylor versus the field because I just feel like everyone hasn't gotten, you know, gotten their feet wet. There's some people that are who they are. <laughs> we can say that. We can see that from right now. There's certain teams that we know who they are, and they're going to be that offensive team, or they're going to be that just defensive team, and that's who they are. But we haven't gotten just to the entire group to just hand it over to Gonzaga just yet. Now, in their conference, they'll do whatever they want. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's going to happen. That's going to happen. And, like, and here's the funny thing. like The WCC is actually pretty good this year. You know, yeah, exactly. BYU – BYU has gotten a lot better than what they were at the start of the season. Um, San Francisco is not quite as good as we thought they were after they beat Virginia, but that's still a really good team that is maybe the best three point shooting team in the country. And like when they're on, they could, they could beat anybody on any given night. Cause like they could quite literally go like 24 for 40 from three one night. Like that's how, that's how, that's how good they are. Yep. And St. Mary's like, they're different. They don't have the same kind of elite level talent without Jordan Ford and Malik Fitz, mm-hmm. but like they're just really good and really defensive. And, and Randy Bennett's a hell of a coach. And like the worst, the, the most disappointing team in that league is Pepperdine, and they got two NBA players on that roster. So it's 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 not like the WCC is going to be down. But like to me, there's no way that Gonzaga doesn't go undefeated. And like, can I just yeah. I want to I want to get this on the record, Deshaun. So I, I want to make sure that I have this set, so I can say that on December 27th at 10:49 <laughs> p.m. on a Sunday. I said this. 
it, if Gonzaga goes whatever and oh, like 30 and oh, 38 and oh, if they win the national title without losing a game, even if they don't play Baylor during the regular season, even if they don't play Baylor in the NCAA tournament, if you are one of those people that's going to say, oh, we can't call Gonzaga an all time great because there's an asterisk next to the season and the coronavirus and blah, 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 blah. Here's my pledge I will never make that discussion i will never have that conversation i will never try to put an asterisk next to their get name i will never say anything other than like get this gonzaga team is an all-time great team and it's a shame that we could not see what could have happened if they played tennessee and that didn't get canceled if they played baylor and that didn't get canceled if we didn't have the coronavirus and we could have truly experienced them going 40 in games 40 you know on the season i will never say i will never say anything about an asterisk and i will never acknowledge anybody that says anything about an asterisk <laughs> because the only the it. only people that will say that the only people that will say that are the people that don't watch college basketball and just need to have content to argue about so i'm i'm begging you as a college basketball community for the, for this podcast coming together for the field of 68 media network make a pledge with me we will not acknowledge anyone that puts an asterisk next to a 40 and 0 Gonzaga basketball season. Yeah, anybody that goes undefeated and wins a national championship, I don't care who they are, they're they're a good team. Like they're the first team no, to ever win. No, be- there's, no, there's no asterisk next to a team that goes undefeated and wins a national championship. Like, like what are we talking about? That's just no, a waste of time here. Yeah, so who that, would ever who would ever consider doing such a thing? I now, if you know, go thirty, man. if you go like twenty seven and zero, and you don't win a national championship, then maybe. But if still, they, like if they're, they're Wichita they, they, State they, from yeah. two thousand fifteen, the the one that went thirty five and zero and lost in the second round, like. Then we can't really talk about them as an all-time They're great. Great team. They were a great team, but they weren't. They they, they weren't, weren't this man. They weren't this. <laughs> like they weren't like this that. Team, They're not this team. Like you know, this team is different. Like the talent level on this this, this Gonzaga team is 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 different. So anyone having that conversation, like just ignore them because it's probably going to be Skip Bayless, and you you just ignore them anyways. Because why do you pay attention to him? All right, so. Now that that's handled, here's here's my next overreaction. Wisconsin is the third best team in America. Nah, <laughs> nah. That's what you got, bro. You are nah. We talk. <laughs> nah, Man, we've talked with, like before the show. Like, I love Wisconsin. I love Demetrius Trice. I think he's great. I think they do a good job with Reavers and uh, and Potter. Who else do they have? Uh, Ford, Aline Ford. I, I like the team. I like how they play out of the post. They do a really good job of that. And they are experienced. They got a ton of like upperclassmen, which I love because I'm not too big on just an entire team of freshmen. You need some experience on the court. But uh, <clears throat> I would say, nah, there's still other guys ahead of this team at, that are really, really good. I mean, I don't see them being better than Villanova. I don't see them being better than, of course, Gonzaga are they can they beat can they beat an Iowa team? Yes, but when I look at Iowa and then I look at them, Luca Garza just is so I feel like he's gonna be still dominant and you can't stop him. And if they shoot the ball at least halfway decent, you know, they can beat this Wisconsin team, this Wisconsin team too. I mean, there's a lot of teams I feel like not not that many, but they're not the top three. They could be in the top ten, so but not top three. I think they're close. And the reason I say that um, is just because they're, they're so close. old, man. They're, they're, they're close, so definitely. old. I think – so to me, it's two things. One, 
How about this for a stat? Like this is this is one of the craziest stats I think I've ever heard. Brad Davison has yeah. felt like he's been in college basketball for 17 years. Like I'm pretty sure Isn't that he, he was this, a fourth. It, I mean, assume he's a fourth senior. Yeah, he's a senior. I'm pretty sure he was actually the same class as you coming out of college. Not um, he's the, like, I get it. <laughs> it, it feels like he's at him. And he is the youngest player in their starting lineup. They got four redshirt seniors in their starting lineup. And um, two two of them are like 24 years old. Like this team is so – these guys are almost as old as like the Memphis Grizzlies. Look at the starting lineup with Memphis Grizzlies. Like they they got John Morant. Jaron Jackson's like 19 still. Yeah, so they're so old. They're a good team. They're a good team. And and like Nate Reavers and Micah Potter are like – just good enough on the perimeter where you're not going to get exposed by trying to – if teams go small against them. They can mm-hmm. overpower you if you want to go small because they're big enough. Uh, they make enough shots. And, uh, and Dimitri Trice, like, is just enough of a game changer to be able to go out and like he did at Michigan State the other day, go out and win games on his own. So yeah. I think – I to me, I think Gonzaga and Baylor are in a tier all by themselves – and then after that, there's probably like six or seven teams. That includes uh, Tennessee and Villanova, Texas, um, Texas, Wisconsin, Kansas, Kansas. Yeah, uh, Kansas. Those, yeah can't, no, no. I, 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 I'm having a tough time. Not those bums up in time, Morgantown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hater! I'm having a tough time, man. Looking at it, like Wisconsin's great, seven and zero at home. Uh, Freaking. They they beat a Louisville team was ranked twenty three, uh, who's like who just I mean they're they're solid, um, and they beat a Michigan State team who's like on the way out. Yep, I don't. So so far they've gotten like, in my opinion, like one really good win, <laughs> like, I, and they lost and they lost to a five and five Marquette team, and they so. lost to a five exactly, and that, that's their grudge game. I mean, so I don't know. I feel like. Wisconsin's good, but there's still a lot more for them to do, especially being so old. Yeah, I mean they're very much in the mix, but they are. Yeah, they not, are. They very much are. They're they're not quite there. All right, my next overreaction: Marcus Carr, as of this very moment, is a first team All American. If the season were to end today, yeah, I'm not gonna argue with that. I mean, geez, bro, like he like the way he's been playing is is. He's been like I would say probably my second favorite player to watch play. Like yeah. he's scoring in an array of uh, ways. He's obviously he's rebounding. He's he's doing a little bit of everything for that team to even win games. So like they they don't have him, they don't win, and he's doing a majority of everything. Yeah, so we're like nine games into the, the roof, season. Like, nine games into the season, he's already gone for thirty plus three times. Uh, he hit the shot to force overtime against Iowa. I think he hit the was it was it BC? He had a shot to force overtime against BC. Maybe it was a shot to put him ahead in overtime. Whatever it Not was, sure. like he, all he does is hit big shots. All he does is make deep threes. Um, he's 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 averaging twenty four point six points, six point two assists, uh, shooting forty percent from beyond the arc. Like he's just. Not he's having he's having <laughs> he's having an unbelievable season um and i don't know if i fully buy minnesota as being as good as they've looked um you know it's hard to overlook the fact that they just got absolutely whooped on the road uh yeah. against illinois 
Um, and outside of Carr, like, I don't know how much I trust the rest of that roster. Like, Brandon Johnson, I think, what was it? He was something like two for 10 um, heading from three, heading into that game yeah. where he hit eight threes. Yeah. So, um, there, it's it's up and down. It's like, like it, Yeah, it, but it, that's, that's, that's not as consistent as we like it to be for, but, for but, you to trust it. But you can't you can't you can't say a mumble word about yeah. Marcus Carr because he's been I trust unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. He has. Yeah. All right. So for just for people that are listening, if I had to put together a full uh first team all American team right now, it would be Luca Garza, Iodasumu, Jared Butler, Marcus Carr, and then like whoever you think deserves it from Gonzaga. I would probably go Corey Kispert at this point. Um mm-hmm. if you want to go Jalen Suggs, like that makes sense. You want to go Drew Timmy. I get it. That's probably not the right answer, but uh, mm. I mean, <laughs> there, there might also be an argument to be made that like they're, they're starting lot or your, your first team all Americas are Luca Garza plus like two guys from Gonzaga and two guys from Baylor. Maybe. I don't know, but the, that's, that's kind of what it is for me. Mark's yeah, car taking uh, more or less. I'm taking Dosumu. I'm taking Luca Garza. I'm taking uh car Ron Harper jr. I got a, that's your boy. That's your yeah, boy. Now, now he is. After the way he's been playing, I mean, nah, seriously though, he's uh, a mismatch problem. I, I don't see any way he's not on the list. Yeah, so. he's in there. He'd probably be second team for me, but I mean, he's he's really? certainly he's certainly right there in that. I mean, he's awesome. What do you want me to say? Yeah, he's right. great. What do you? Exactly? I don't have I don't have bad things to say about him. Um, all right. So last one I got for you, uh, the Northwestern Wildcats are. The biggest surprise in, in college basketball this season. Yes and no. Um, yes, because of like how well they've done so far. They beat, like I said, a Michigan State team who was number four at the time. They beat right. them. They beat uh, OSU, obviously. And I mean, they're playing well. I mean, they're six, six and one, seven and one, or something like that. They're in basically the best basketball conference. Uh, right now, they play eight to nine guys. Uh, for Chris Collins, like I told you before, is done, doing a great job with this team. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm surprised at how well they're doing, but at the same time, I mean, they've been known to to do things like this during the season. You know, beat a team they weren't supposed to beat, and, and things. Like, I, I just want to see them sustain it throughout the season. That'd be yeah. awesome because their offense is unique. They they play a lot of back. They use a lot of back doors. They they play out of the post, almost like you know uh, how Notre Dame used to with Luke Herringody. Like they let him point guard the ball out of the post. Uh, what's uh, what's his name? Chase? No, nah, no, it's Nance. 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 I'm trying to find his name. Yeah, Pete. Pete Nance. Pete Nance. Pete Nance. They let him like quarterback a lot out of the post. And I like teams like that when you can play out of the post. You you keep uh keep the rest of the perimeter moving and. You know, there's no. It's very hard for defenses to guard that because now you got to you have to guard one on one in the post. And if you got somebody down there that can make a play, it could create a ton of problems. Like they do, they do a great job. Yeah, they really, they sure really t- move. They really take advantage of putting Pete Nance at the five and just kind of like going like the full spread. They do a lot of the. Uh, yeah. They run a lot of like actions that you'll see from like the Raptors when they would put like Marcus Saul at the head of the key and then run some like back doors yeah. and some screening actions and. Um, stuff like that. Like Boo Boo, he's great on the ball. Yes, uh, yes. big time score. Miller Cop can make a lot of shots. So a lot. Um, <laughs> there, there is now uh, plenty of film available on him. Like no one is going to be surprised 
by anything that they're doing. Uh, so the big thing for me is like, how do they adjust now? Like now that all of their stuff is on tape, now that every coach in the Big Ten has seen them do the same thing against Michigan State, the same thing against Indiana, and the same thing against Ohio State, what happens now that they're like playing at Iowa? Like here are their next – how about this for like a stretch of games? Yeah, they play a ton of ranked teams. I, I checked earlier. Look, look, at, look at this. Look at this. This is, this is insane what they got coming up. They are at Iowa, at Michigan, home for Illinois, at Ohio State, home for Iowa. They're like the, – the easy game they have in this stretch is at Penn State. Talk about a good one. Then they play at Wisconsin. Oh, I'm, I'm not even done. Yeah. They play at Wisconsin. Then they get Rutgers at home. Then they get yeah. Michigan at home. Then they play at Purdue. Then they play Indiana at home. Then they play at Rutgers. Then they play at Illinois. Then they play home for Wisconsin. Then they play at Minnesota. Like you just that their whole, you just that's their whole, whole schedule. schedule. That's their whole schedule. That is insane. It's insane. That's insane. I'm just hoping, like you said, that at the end of the day, like teams have gotten a chance to watch them play, but the way their offense runs, I feel like I won't, I don't want to say it's too intricate, but I feel like it's intricate enough to keep teams honest and it's going to be up to these players to go out there and, you know, make shots. I feel like the offense gives them enough of a boost. Like, you know, it's not just like some simple offense that, all right, cool. Like now, we could just sit in the cut, just sit back here and wait for them to make a move. It's like, you know, you have to guard the basketball. You have to guard these cuts and screens. And a lot of these guys are, these aren't switchable screens a, a bunch of the time. So you got to stay with your man and it could be, you could be put in a position to give up easy layups and easy wide open threes because of bad communication. So I feel like because that offense garners that kind of attention, it's up to the players to, you know, step up and make these shots. So like, and cops making shots so hopefully the rest of the group can too yeah we'll, we'll see if nine guys <laughs> yeah I, I i think they're good enough that it'll last i don't know if they're necessarily going to be a tournament team yeah but i i mean the the potential is there you know they're, they're gonna have the opportunities um and if they if they win i'd say if they go let me see what do you what do you see them f- finishing possibly in this stacked league where do you see them finishing and if, if and let's say they do make the tournament team, they make the tournament how many teams go into the tournament from the big from the big 10 if they like, make the it's, tournament? it's insane like the big 10's insane um <laughs> i i think right now like the only teams that you can sit here and say like they probably have no chance of making the ncaa tournament would be like nebraska i think maryland yeah. can find a way to get it done i think penn state can find a way to get it done um i think that we're for sure going to get at least 10 teams just because like, you know, the metrics are going to be awesome for every team in the big 10. Like, it's just going to be insane. Um, well, just, I mean, just, just think about it, man. Like we're, we're talking about right now, everything I just rattled off, like there, there's one team in the big 10 that is ranked outside of the top 55 on Ken Palm right now. I'm going to go to the pac 12, right? There's one team, one team in the big 10 that's ranked outside of the top 55 in the big 10. In the Pac-12, there are one, two, three, four, five, six teams that are ranked inside the top 55. They have four teams ranked outside the top 100. So what will happen when all these teams are playing and like the net and, and all these other metrics like are, are kind of – they're all kind of efficiency-based, so they're not that yeah. far apart. Um, so what's going to happen is when all they're playing, like when every game you play is against the top 50 opponent, that's just going to raise like your strength of schedule stuff. Exactly. And everybody's just going to have their, their metrics go up and up and up and up. Whereas every time Oregon's got, Oregon's got to play Washington or Cal or Washington state, like their, their, their computer numbers are going to end up going down 
as a result of it. So I really do think we could get like 10 or 11 teams from the big, big 10 in the tournament. And I, I guarantee, I guarantee that we're going to go into February and the only team that is not going to be listed like on the bubble or in those conversations from the league is going to be Nebraska. We're going to be talking about 13 teams from the big 10 potentially getting into the tournament. Mm. All right. So, uh, we, we did something fun to kind of wrap this up and then we'll get out of here. We are doing um, a list of <laughs> of New Year's resolutions. We picked eight teams that we want to roll through for New Year's resolutions. So we're going to start this thing off. We'll, we'll go through this quickly. We're going to start it off with uh, your West Virginia Mountaineers. What is their New Year's resolution for the 2021 year? For my Mountaineers, I would say consistency offensively as a whole, as a group. Not the bigs one game and then not the guards, not the guards one game and not the bigs, not one guard, one. We need an entire consistent effort offensively because we know what we're going to do defensively and as far as rebounding. But we definitely need that uh, that consistency offensively from, from an entire group if they want to go to a Final Four and challenge a team like Gonzaga. I mean, they had those games that we saw that, they played against Richmond. Overall, everybody played well. They even fought a little bit with Gonzaga after Suggs was down, and it was a little bit of a, a well-rounded game from everybody involved. All the other games, really close against teams they were supposed to beat. Either the bigs were great and the guards weren't, or the guards were great and the bigs were no-shows. So I would say overall consistency offensively. So mine is going to be just stay out of foul trouble. I think it's that simple. I think what the biggest issue for them is when – you know, Big Sheeb gets into foul trouble is when so that's a waste like, of time. Yeah, is when someone like Austin Boyd gets foul trouble <laughs> or Miles McBride. So it's just it, stop fouling so damn much if you're uh you're can't, West Virginia. Can't can't <laughs> all right. So uh how Kentucky, <laughs> you're Kentucky. I, let me go first with this one. Kentucky. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Coach Cal's New Year's resolution is gonna be stop recruiting freshmen. He's gonna next to <laughs> Because it, it ain't gonna be nothing, nothing that he can do for the rest of this year. What you're gonna see, what you're gonna see, this, this is the coach Cal's resolution. No more is he gonna be recruiting freshmen. What he's gonna do, since everyone's gonna be eligible one year for a transfer, he's gonna find the best guys that can't go to the NBA yet, and just gonna recruit all them. <laughs> That's his new one and done. But now he's he has to develop him. them now. Jeez. Yeah, well, he's gonna say, "Oh, Rod Harper Jr. Yeah, he's not going pro. All right, Rod, you come here. You you come to Kentucky. We'll get you to the NBA. Rutgers ain't doing it for you. You come to Kentucky. We'll get you to the NBA. Smart that's, recruiting. That's, that's smart gonna recruiting. be that's his, that's his new resolution. Jeez, I'll I'll take that to account. I'll say limit turnovers and be more aggressive. They're oh, extreme. Oh, so so you went serious with this? I, no, I had to. I'm, I had I'm to. over here making I, a joke. They're one. They're one. To say, I can't just kick them while they're down. I had to tell them. I mean, they they're young. Be young. Be aggressive. Go out there and be athletic and stop turning the damn ball over, and you might win some games. So, well, yeah. There you go. All right. Next up, we have Virginia. Who is uh, what's Virginia's New Year's resolution? Toughen up. I mean, geez, I, I I'm not gonna lie to you. I I I consider Virginia. Uh, you laughed at me when I said it too. I consider Virginia to be at least like a small bump in the road, not a full roadblock, but a small bump in the road. I flatten the tire of Gonzaga. Gonzaga like did whatever they wanted. Like there was whatever, whatever they. I want. think Drew Timmy set a screen on two people at one point in time, so Kisper could get a wide open three. And I'm sitting there thinking, I watched Drew Timmy, one of the guards at WVU, pushed him under the basket. So I'm sitting, I'm like, where's Hauser and where's Hutt? Like, toughen up. 
So I would say that it'd be awesome to see t- uh, Virginia toughen up, not play like, you know, like they're running the picket fence and practice and just like no one can – like they play like they're playing 5-0. And if someone stops them from their plays, they kind of just like, all right, well, I got touched and it's done. Like, as opposed to toughening up and fighting through things. I, I wish they had toughened up a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say you got to play better defense. You know, I, yeah. I know that they're Virginia, but, um, it, it, I mean, Sam Hauser, there were some 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 moments where he was exposed against Gonzaga. That's just – that's just uh, that's probably, probably the nicest way um, <laughs> nicest way to put it. Because if they're – like if they're – they have to be elite defensively this year because there are going to be issues they have on the offensive end of the floor. I mean, Kihei Clark is just like – my thing with Kihei, and I was having a conversation um, with a coach about this the other day, is like Kihei Clark, Clark is kind of like Draymond Green in the sense that he can be really good when you have him doing things in a system that, that, that match up with his strengths, yeah. right? Draymond Green can take a Golden State team – that has Clay Thompson, that has Steph Curry, and he can make them elite because those guys can carry everything. He he can switch defensively. He is so good in those four on threes coming out of like the short roll actions. He they, he is an exceptional role player that can take a team from being good to great. Just like Kihei yeah. Clark, if you all you need him to do is kind of move the ball around on offense, make the occasional open three, and be an utter pest on the ball defensively, like he was the year they won a title. He could do really good things. When you need him to be anything else, like carry an offense, be able to initiate running the ball screens, like he just – he's not going to be that guy. So, um, yeah, they have to be elite defensively if they're going to be able to do this because I just don't see it for them offensively. All right, next one coming up. can't, let's do Kansas for the next one. Kansas. I'm gonna I'm gonna go first. Yeah, I'm gonna, go ahead, go ahead, can go I go first on this one? Please stop please. stop letting Dave McCormick shoot fadeaways. <laughs> they could be really good if all Dave McCormick does is catch the ball, leave him alone, bro. go through somebody and try to leave dunk. And you know alone. what? You know who he did that against real well? West Virginia. We saw what happened. So let him do it. <laughs> Just let him do his thing. I'm uh, not gonna bother you, Dave. Um <laughs> I was going to say, keep your foot on the gas. At the end of the day, like we talked about, they have a unique way of winning games. And now it seems that what I was thinking where, um, what do you call it, uh, Garrett, Marcus Garrett needing to be the the ultimate scorer for them to be successful is completely off because Brown and um, Wilson and Abaji don't mind taking shots and they don't mind taking a lot of them. So those three guys can do a number of the scoring while Garrett can also score, but then focus on what he does best as well. And then the, in the Kansas still works. So keep your foot on the gas, keep doing what you're doing and we'll see. I can't really judge them too well because I mean, they're doing, they're still winning. All right. Next up is uh Duke. You want to do Duke next? Duke keep doing what you're doing because I'm not a Duke fan. So anyway, I'm just joking. Now, uh, Duke, uh, find your niche, bro. Like, normally Duke's basketball, like we talked about before, is, you know, playing hard, uh, playing hard all the time. Great defensive teams, teams that communicate well, they can shoot it well. They, and that's not what you guys are doing this year. So find out what you guys can do and then do that because it's not being shown this year. So my resolution for them would be focus on the players that are going to be there next year right? Find a way to develop the guys that you know are going to be two-year players. Are you so telling like, me to pack it in right now? 
No, I'm not telling them to pack it in. I'm, no, I'm saying, saying that like you got to build around like I, I I mean honestly, I think everyone on that roster save for maybe Jalen Johnson should probably be back in school next year. So focus on making sure that like Jeremy Roach learns how to play the point yeah. guard position. Focus on making sure that you get Wendell Moore to a point where he's like not this like he's a mess right now. And he's too talented and too good to be the mess that he is. Um, get Joey Baker to a point where, like, he could be some kind of, like, competent contributor because there's, like, there's ability there. You just got to find a way to be able to use it. Um, figure out how to make DJ Stewart be just, like, an elite scorer. You know, get Matthew Hurd to be better. To, like, focus on how you can develop. Like, obviously, you're going to go out and you're going to try to win games and you're going to prepare that way. But get these guys ready. Because I don't like you're not competing for a national title this year. But if you slowly but surely bring these guys along, like there are enough pieces there where the sophomore version of a lot of these guys might yeah. be good enough to win the ACC and win a national title. Facts. Um, all right. So next up, do you want to want to do who? North Carolina? Uh, you to North Carolina? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to say capitalize on your youth and transition and utilize the experience and talent in the half court. That's something I feel like they should do. Uh, in transition, we've seen them against uh, Iowa and and you name it. Like they they do a great job when they run, but uh, they have young guards, so it's about them using that that youth that they have and use that athleticism and energy they have and run and push the ball in transition like Roy Williams wants them to do. Like he's always been successful at doing. This is Roy Williams is usually having like eighty eight to like ninety five point a game teams because they run and get easy points. So get those young guards to run the floor. And then once you get in the half court, you can get to those bigs and uh, the talent. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, what's my guy's name? G uh, starts with a G, the big man. Garrison Brooks. Uh, Garrison Brooks. Yeah. Get the ball, get to the, get to those high lows. Like they usually do uh, within their half court offense, getting the ball to Garrison Brooks and work, work out of your bigs, man. I mean, cause they have a very young team and everything else will work its way out. Yeah, so my thing with them is make shots, right? You want to be able to work through your bigs, you got to be able to make the shots in space of the floor. They're shooting 25% from three as a team. Caleb Love has taken the most threes of anybody on the North Carolina roster. He's taken 34 this year. Guess how many he's made, Deshaun, on a season? Out of how many? 34. What, was that five? Four. He's four. four. Oh, okay. he's, he's, he's shooting 11% from three. I, I, thought I, <laughs> I thought I had him pegged a little bit better than that. The, the truth is, like, that's like an actual young Rob Doster in his prime. Four for 34 from three. <laughs> Don't beat yourself up, man. Sorry. Leaky, Leaky Black is two for 11 from three. Like, you got to you gotta be able to make shots. You got to be able yeah. to. And it's not just, like, the, the act of making the shots. It is the threat that those shots will go in that forces defenses to cover you, right? It is the gravity that you have as a legitimate threat to make threes that will make defenses make the decision, okay, do I have to guard on the perimeter or have to guard the post? That's why it works for Iowa. That's why it doesn't work for North Carolina because you know what you don't have to do? You don't have to guard the perimeter. You're, you're going to live with Caleb Love taking the three right now. That's the bottom yeah, line. At this point. Um, two more so uh michigan state what would your resolution i I can go first for the michigan state resolution play some damn defense man they gotta get stops like i've heard all of the stuff about oh they don't have the playmaking oh they don't have a point guard oh they can't figure it out oh they miss cassius winston no you know what they miss they miss getting fucking stops they're not getting stops if you give up in back-to-back games they gave up 85 points to wisconsin 
and they gave up 79 points to Northwestern, and that was after they gave up 91 points to Oakland. You can't do that. You can't do that and win at the level that Tom Izzo expects to win. So play some defense. Play some defense. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you on that. You can't can't give up 95 to Oakland. No, and that's not even – that doesn't even sound like a Tom Izzo team. No. (laughs) That doesn't even make no sense. So – Let's just say yeah. we are probably. I'll, I'll, I'll read. I'll RT that one with you. So. Let's just, yeah, we're we're very happy that we are not in uh, in those practices with. Um, yeah. With, yeah, with, they probably have with, like football helmets right now, and they're rebounding drills and doing all that crazy stuff that they normally do. Yeah. Um, all right, so I think that's uh, that's all we got for you, Deshaun. I have um, one for Baylor. Oh, yeah, one for Baylor. All right, what you have for Yeah, Baylor? cancel one of your Big 12 games and then replace it with um, the Gonzaga game. Gonzaga, yeah. Yeah, Pretel, have one of them, pay them, pay whatever team you need to, make them fake a, fake a test that they need to take or some COVID excuse, get the slot out, and then fill it in with the Gonzaga game so everybody in college basketball can get what they want. They want to see so, Gonzaga. They want to see Baylor. I'm, I'm looking at your schedule right now. And there are two, there's only one real point where like it might actually, there's, there's two points where they go, they have the Monday. Don't give me hope, Rob. They, there's two this. points where they have like the Monday, Saturday swing um, for the big 12. That is between one of them is between West Virginia on February 15th and Oklahoma state on February 20th. I doubt that they'll try to make it in that late. The other one, January 18th to January 23rd between Kansas and Oklahoma state. You're not too worried about Oklahoma State. You're not too worried about Kate Cunningham. Let's check that Gonzaga schedule. Let's see if I just answered the question. <laughs> Gonzaga does. Gonzaga has no games between January 16th and January 23rd. We got we a session for that one. We got. We, saw, we, we solved it. We solved it. Thursday. Got gotcha. Thursday. We got to play Thursday, January 21st. I'll text Scott Drew. I'll text Mark Few. We're going to make this happen. It's going to be for my birthday. So, That's perfect. Just, I, need, I just, need a birthday present like this. Just make sure that when it happens, you credit the Deshaun and Doster podcast. That's what you got to do. Please, please do. All right, man. Listen, Deshaun, it's been a pleasure, man. As always, uh, we will catch up with you guys at some point later on this week. If you're still listening to this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe. That is the best way to say thank you if you do enjoy the content that we are giving you. Deshaun, I'll catch up with you maybe on Thursday, man. Always a pleasure, Rob. Always a pleasure.